The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, welcome to Tech Talk right here on HiFM as always. And I'm covering some of the coolest, loudest, and most amazing tech in the world at the moment. And we live in a completely crazy environment currently. I mean, South Africa, unfortunately, is experiencing some of the worst load shedding that we've ever had. And gadgets need power, which is a real problem for a gadget lover such as myself. Trying to keep all your gadgets charged, all your equipment working, um, all your communication going. And we'll we'll talk a lot about that a little bit later because... Um, I was very fortunate last week to attend Web Summit in Lisbon to see all the startups, to get a sense of what the latest in technology is. And I'm not going to steal my own thunder, but uh, stay tuned till 11.20. We're going to talk all about what I saw at Web Summit, the discussions I had with a number of startups, some leading technology thinkers. And I'll give you a little little insight into some of the trends and the, the major themes that ran through the largest tech conference in Europe right now, and it was certainly quite an experience to be there with 42,000 people, all live, all wandering the halls, all going to massive talks. It was pretty spectacular, and considering the current environment where people are scared to get near to each other, this was quite an eye-opener of how the future may look and how we may still continue to conference going forward. But we'll be talking about that a lot in the next little while. But first, I want to just talk a little bit about what is going on currently in South Africa. And if you haven't bought uh, a UPS or an inverter or some form of power backup for your Internet, I think the time really, really is now to get one. The simplest solution for everybody is a very simple UPS the UPS is simply a unit that you plug into the mains, it charges up some batteries, and when the mains fail, it switches to battery backup, inverts that uh, power to 220 volt, and can run some small equipment, a TV, uh, a router, a couple of chargers, whatever it is for a couple of hours. But it all depends on the size and the scale of that device. And I mean, you can get tiny little units that cost in the region of 400 rand, that should run the average router for four or five hours. So generally, um, the, the networks or the fiber providers or the mobile providers have a lot of battery backup. And unfortunately, for those of you that are on mobile, I'm sure you've noticed that the reliability of the mobile network over the last couple of weeks has been pretty spotty. Sometimes you have perfect signal, otherwise it drops. And the real reason for that is that the average battery pack that runs a mobile antenna needs four to six, sometimes eight hours to fully recharge. And when you're in stage four load shedding and you're getting load shedding every two hours or every four hours, um, you're sitting in a situation where the actual towers cannot fully recover to give you the next break in, in service. And there have been a lot of failures of towers across the country, a lot of failure to give you the broadband that you used to. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Thank goodness ICASA and the networks have come to some arrangement around uh, emergency spectrum, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But back to the UPSs. Should you have a UPS running your, your Wi-Fi router, you should remain connected no matter, no matter what's going on. And I mean, for most of us, 
if you've got a laptop, you've got a couple of hours of battery life, and you should be able to stay connected. So from 450 Rand up to any amount of money, you should have some form of keeping your basic equipment, your basic electronics up and running during this crazy time. Because, one, you need to listen to us, even if it's online or over the radio, and we keep the power on at High FM, and we're trying to make sure that you guys all stay connected to the Internet and carry on with your businesses, which is in your life, despite the fact that the lights may be off for the moment. Anyway, we will be back straight after this and uh, talking some more about some interesting tech. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And um, hopefully you're all using your UPSs and inverters and generators and whatnot and listening comfortably in your homes where there may or may not be power. I'm sorry, it's not a light matter, and I'm not joking about it. But um, as I said, it's very important. Go look at Take A Lot. Go look at uh, your local electronic store and pick something that works for you, at least allows you to be connected at home or at your office and get on with life um, for the foreseeable future. I, Unfortunately, from everything that I've read, everything that I've heard, load shedding will be with us for another couple of years and it's something that I think will pay massive dividends in keeping us all going and keeping us all connected. What I'm going to do over the next little while is try to get my hands on a range of different UPSs inverters just to get a sense of which one are um, the correct types and sizes. But generally, they're simple devices. They simply plug in, charge while the power's off, discharge when the uh, charge while the power's on, hopefully, and discharge when the power's off. And should give you more than enough, depending on what you're doing. You can't plug heaters into it. You can't plug uh, stoves into it. But other than that, all the basic electronics like a LCD TV or OLED TV, which uses even less power, along with uh, your, your router and a couple of other little bits and pieces, charge your phone, charge your laptop. You should have more than enough power with a basic 600 to 1 kVA in, you know, inverter or UPS. And that should just keep you going while the rest of us sit in the dark and wait for the power to come back on. Now, moving on to some really interesting stuff, and it's been quite a week for technology across all sorts of um, channels and all sorts of areas, and I'll discuss a little bit about that later. But right now, um, very interesting iOS beaters coming out, and I've spoken a, a, a bit about AirTags on the show in the last little while. I use them uh, People I know track their dogs and their children and who knows what using an AirTag. And they're extremely useful for things that you lose, your keys, your wallet. How many times I put my keys down, forgot where I put them, and then used the um, Find My app in, a, in my iOS device to wander around and uh, find my wallet or my keys. It's, it's, it's a great, great little feature. It's built into bicycles. It's built into a lot of things. But one of the negative, I wouldn't say completely negative, but one of the issues that has been raised in pretty many scenarios is that you can use these devices to track people without their knowledge. So if you slip on into a pocket or into a bag, you could theoretically, using your Find My app on your iPhone, track that AirTag pretty much anywhere. And that is just a huge, huge invasion of privacy. So what Apple have done, to try to mitigate this, and it's not out yet, but it's coming soon. They've released a brand new iOS 15.2 beta, and it adds quite an interesting anti-stalking feature, which I found 
really interesting, considering all the talks we're talking about Web Summit and, and privacy in a few minutes. But essentially, there are scenarios where people could unwittingly or unwillingly be subject to some form of surveillance using a very inexpensive thing like an air tag. And what they've done in the latest version of the Find My app, what they've given you a new feature where you can select something called items that can track me in the, in the items tab option menu. And once that's enabled, the feature will scan for nearby devices owned by other people, not you. Obviously, when you get your own air tag, you register it to your device, you give it a name, it's connected to your phone. It's easy, easy, easy to use, simple to play with. Just fantastic. But what happens and how would you know if someone else was tracking you with an air tag that was not linked to your device? Well, this option, this ability will now show clearly what other air tags um, are there. And as part of it, have ch- uh, Apple have also changed the identify found items because that is such a cool thing. If you lose something with an air tag in it and someone wanders past and you notify that it's lost, it'll ask people to contact you because they found your lost item device that's connected to the AirTag. But that functionality uh, has just been renamed helped return lost options, which is a little bit clearer. But essentially, once you, you select items that can track me in the items tab, you can see immediately if there are any AirTags around you that are not yours and that are potentially tracking your, your whereabouts. And you, and you can also get instructions through the little app on how to disable the device so that it can't be used for tracking you. So I think that's pretty smart. There are a lot of other changes in iOS 15.2. If you haven't upgraded already to iOS 15 or 15.1, in fact, interestingly enough, if you have iOS and you go an older version, the 14, and you go and buy yourself a brand new Apple Watch, it will not connect to your device. It asks you to upgrade. Must admit that mostly I've had no reports of any problems. People should upgrade. The latest version of iOS does actually keep upgrading 14 until you actually explicitly ask it to upgrade to 15, which is fine. I think that's a good choice. But if you see that option, don't just rely on your phone updating automatically. Go physically, look at settings, updates, and have a look if that iOS 15 is available. There are a lot of real big improvements in iOS 15 and very, very few bugs that have been reported or I've experienced on any of the devices that I've upgraded. And there's some really nice new features. And this one should come in the next couple of weeks. So if you're a little bit paranoid about people tracking you, I think it's cool that at least from a privacy point of view, this is something that Apple have thought about and it won't allow people just to slip some tracker into your your belongings or yourself your pockets or whatever as you go along. Now, moving on to some other really interesting and and uh, cool tech that has come our way. And Apple is still talking Apple, which has been a bit of a bad week for Apple in some ways. They, they, there was a recent case where a major game player was charged, Apple charged, okay, to put it correctly, Apple charged 30% for every person who puts an app in their app store and you have, and a customer has to buy to pay. So if you buy a hundred rand app, you, the app supplier pays 30 rand to Apple for the benefit of having that app in the app store. And this has become a bit of a problem. And in fact, a uh, Epic Games took Apple to court 
And basically, the court found that it was not um, correct that Apple could not allow Epic Games or other people on the App Store to direct people to a store outside of the App Store where people could sign up. The problem with that is that Apple then get no revenue because they not the billing system doesn't run through the Apple App Store. It runs separately, let's say, with Epic Games' website or some other store linked to the to the device. And they lost that uh, appeal recently. So currently, it appears that you can now use your your um, your you can now use apps on the App Store that can direct you outside of the App Store to get to pay. And that certainly gives a lot of options to the App Store members. However, it definitely does cut into Apple's revenue. And I think there's going to be some serious legal goings on to try to fix that. I do believe that somewhere down the middle, there should be some option for this. Often, especially on a, on a repetitive stuff. So for example, um, the Amazon Kindle app can only be used to read in the Apple, on the Apple app store. You cannot buy books through it at all. So you have to then go out into another, either a website or onto your computer, buy the book and then download it to your, to your, your app, um, your app on the, on, on any one of your iOS devices, being an iPad or whatever, which is, it's not a problem, but it's a little bit clumsy. It's not a seamless experience. So I hope that Apple come up with a scheme or a way to make it a lot more seamless and to keep everybody happy because the benefit of the App Store definitely makes sense for app people to pay for and the security that's involved in that. But it also should not be so expensive that there's very little margin for the, the gaming and other people to make money. Now, gaming maybe is fairly high margin, but when you've got books and you're buying from other people or third parties, we have fairly low margin, a 30% cut is huge. And I do believe that that's something that should be addressed in the nearest future. Now, we'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe in just a moment, and we'll talk all about Web Summit. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back and welcome to Tech Talk Cafe. Normally, I have a couple of really interesting people to talk to. But this time around, I am going to be bringing you a full report of an amazing event I attended last week, and that is Web Summit. Now, Web Summit is one of the largest technology, loosely they call it a technology conference. It is, for the main um, part, a startup convention where round about four or 5,000 startups attend and pitch their products to investors, to funders, to the media, to whomever you want. And at the same time, they get a huge list of some of the top people in the technology industry to talk about what is going on, along with policymakers, heads of states, CEOs of so many of the major tech companies to talk about the state of tech, the state of where we are, what's coming in the near future. And so many of their startups are built on current technology, but they certainly offering a massive glimpse into the future of technology, the future of apps, the future of where the the tech world is going. And it has been a pretty transformative two years. Web Summit last was alive in 2019 before the world had even heard of uh, the COVID pandemic. And for 2020, 
Oh, sorry, 2018. 2019 and 2020 were cancelled, did not happen the way they should have. And 2021 became the first major show in Europe and pretty much worldwide where essentially 42,753 registered attendees arrived in person at an event. Now, they were extremely strict with regard to COVID rules and regulations. Everybody who attended needed to have proof of vaccine and or a proof of a recent negative COVID test, which was valid for 24 hours. There were some testing centers on the outskirts of the Altus Arena and Exhibition Center in downtown. Well, it's not really downtown Lisbon. It's a little bit out of downtown, a few minutes ride, along with uh, underground strikes and all sorts of nonsense, which always seem to accompany these type of massive events. But we all got there. We all got around, no matter what. Ubers became super expensive. But um, that's just the fun of being at these sort of global conferences. So once you were inside, everyone had to wear a mask. But other than that, it was absolutely normal. The halls were crowded with uh, startups and, and companies and investors and solution providers and you name it. It was pretty insane. There were about 700 different speakers across many stages. And in fact, the opening keynote in the Altus Arena had close to 40,000 people sitting in side by side in a hall for the first time in a couple of years for most people. And it was unbelievably inspiring to see that essentially the conference, personal contact, personal work, being able to sit across from a, a, a table, have a meal, have a drink with someone. It was pretty insane. And this extended beyond that outside of the arena. Generally, they call it the night summit. There were restaurants, there were bars, there were clubs, all sorts of places where people congregated with some with, some without masks. But anyway, there's been no reports of any major outbreak as a result. But essentially, there was so much time to network, to discuss, to find out, and a very, very powerful uh, show where so many things were discussed, so many things were run. But the big themes of the show from a technology point of view, apart from the entire experience of being in a large event, but scary to start, but soon settled into it, no problem, were, were basically climate change, which considering COP26 or whatever was going on at the same time. So the, the whole issue of ch climate change and the ability of technology to make differences to climate change were a huge theme. And surprisingly, despite my personal um, skepticism around the whole crypto industry, and the whole bubble and, and you know, the, the boom and bust cycles around Bitcoin and other forms of financial instruments, the crypto industry was a huge, huge discussion. And I think what I, I learned and what I saw, and I think what a lot of people need to realize, that crypto and the crypto industry, crypto encryption and the, the technologies behind that encryption, the underlying technologies that Bitcoin are built upon, and all the other altcoins and all the other forms of cryptocurrency is where the huge, huge um, growth of, of so many startups, so many new solutions, and so many very interesting, powerful ways to do things around the world are starting to grow up. Now, essentially, 
without getting into any technical detail. But uh, blockchain and all the technologies that underpin the crypto environment and the security and the various um, algorithms that, that keep these, these features safe and keep them distributed are where the huge amount of interest. There were tons of startups with this type of technology embedded into solutions, especially because one of the other major, major trends at this type of conference, which became very clear, is the vast majority of the startups. All their solutions are based on some form of cloud solution, be it AWS, be it from Microsoft, be it from Amazon, be it from wherever. They were all based on some form of cloud-based operation using technologies that can run pretty much anywhere in the world at massive scale with massive security and connectivity behind it. So I wasn't joking that it's really important to stay connected despite the power going off because so many of the, the products and apps all run on mobile devices, all run across an Internet of Things network that needs some form of power to run it. And all of these smart solutions, be it medical, be it financial, be it educational, be it operational, be it Uber-style whatever for whatever. I mean, there were Uber-style solutions for food. There were Uber-style solutions parts. There was Uber-style solutions for people. So there were so, all sorts of, of solutions and startups that were very, very, very focused on using very distributed technologies with extreme security. Privacy, again, came out as a sub-thread of enormous importance. GDPR in Europe, Papier in South Africa, hugely implemented with realty. Google has just been hammered with a massive 42 billion rand fine, which they've appealed and lost. So there is enormous focus on using these new technologies such as blockchain in order to set up new processes, platforms, systems of great scale to solve problems that may be extremely local. I even saw a South African startup which had a brilliant technology platform for student housing on how to track it, how to manage it, how to work with it, using, again, fully cloud-based solutions, running on, on, a, on a tablet, running on any device. In fact, one of the other key trends coming out of Web Summit is that the devices become essentially irrelevant. Whether you've got an iOS device, an Android device, a Windows device, an Apple computer, it makes no difference. All these apps run seamlessly across all of those using a form of web browser or native app on the particular platform, but there's hardly any functional difference depending on what you're doing. So there's a lot of, obviously, Apple and Android and Google and the various Samsungs sell products that utilize these, these underlying operating systems and become a window to all these new apps and products and processes and, and things that you can imagine. Uh, is, it's very important to have these type of gadgets. But essentially, everybody there was looking at platforms and products that run across any form of technology. If you have access, you have a screen, it doesn't matter which make, what model it is, except unfortunately, in some ways, you know, taking Huawei, which doesn't have access to some of the, the uh, Google App Store at all. So that creates a little bit of a split between what is available and what's not available. Other than that, it was really very, very impressive to see the amount of products built on those two major sort of 
key things. And there were a lot of apps that gave info and assistance around climate change. There was a lot of discussion around it. But what really impressed me, I just saw a couple of interesting startups that really impressed me, and I think some of them I'll just go through a couple that just to give you a sense of what they were doing. These are guys who pitched directly, um, and and some of them I'm sure haven't seen which ones have been funded. A lot of them were alpha, which means they were just basically proof of concept. They had a working model. They weren't ready for production. And then there were the betas, those the guys who are actually running an operating business but looking for more money to grow or uh, some big daddy to come and buy them and make them rich so that they can move on to the next big thing. But one of the coolest things I saw was a Korean, a South Korean startup called Geneon Biotech. And obviously it makes sense in this current day. They offer a simple, non-invasive, so no things up your nose, no things down your throat, COVID-19 diagnostic solution that was really, really quick. You just use saliva rather than any form of invasive thing up your nose and gave gave results that were comparable to a full nasal PCR test within 45 minutes. They were right up there with all the rest and the system can be used by non-trained people. You didn't need anything. It was really simple to see and there were a, a ton of these type of telemedicine or medical type um, startups. But this one was really considering what's going on and considering that, unfortunately, COVID is going to be with us for a long way, a long time, um, it was it was just amazing to see that this was a small starter that came up with this type of technology and were able to do it at scale and at a price that really was incredibly um, useful. One of the other medical um, – and medical was another huge area around uh, startups, around – the, the whole ecosystem there is something called smart diagnosis. I, I had a little chat to them and the, the pandemic and generally healthcare, there's been a huge increased demand for innovative telemedicine type solutions, solutions that you don't have to go to a doctor. You don't have to go to um, a, a medical center. There's so many clinics and places and things around where you need absolute diagnosis that may not give you full access to a doctor. And this startup called Smart Diagnosis has developed a vital science extraction algorithm that can analyze the human eye using a smartphone camera back to the smartphone for a full patient health assessment. So the app will give you a full breakdown of a whole host of medically relevant um, criteria just using a smartphone, an app on a smartphone and a camera um, and the camera on the smartphone, and you, you just take a picture of the eye. And the, the um, demo I got was pretty insane. They were giving really relevant medical diagnosis. Obviously, I haven't didn't see the technology, how accurate they were compared to a traditional you know, blood pressure, heart rate, and all that stuff. But it was quick. It was simple. It was just so unbelievably slick. And... It would be amazing for healthcare, insurance companies, to fitness and wellness enthusiasts, take a picture of your eye and get a full diagnosis of your healthcare. It's this type of, and again, using technologies in the background, cloud, you name it. Another area that a lot of innovation, tons of startups were involved in is fintech. The whole fintech Europe, because it's always had a very 
stayed in many countries. South Africa, to some extent, the big four banks. We've now got a whole lot of new banks that have come online, purely technology-based like Bank Zero and Time Bank. But globally, the whole matter of banking, uh, financial, fintech-type operations and that type of setup was a huge thing. One of the cool little apps I saw, now this is not entirely, it's not banking, but it's definitely an investing thing, was called Pink. And it's a 0% fee-based wealth management app. So in other words, South Africa unfortunately has certain issues around external investing, so it tends to be very local. But globally, you don't have that in many, many of the major territories. So if you can use crowdsourced knowledge and AI, huge, sorry to even mention AI or machine learning, the amount of information that can be processed in the cloud to help people make better investment decisions using standard AI platforms that are built into into Microsoft uh, cloud services, into Amazon cloud services, along with some really smart algorithms that a lot of these startups have come up with, can give you information that you can use to predict and forecast investment across the world. So it takes predictions of data, tens of thousands of users across the world using data, and then you get sort you set in a, put in a set of conditional uh, decisions like you're a very conservative investor, you want a return of this, you want that, and it comes up with the potential best returns on your little investment choice. It was again the demo was pretty slick. You, you, it was very easy to set up an account. It was very easy to set up your investment criteria. It was very easy to say I want to invest ten thousand dollars, ten thousand yen, whatever it is and then run it through their algorithm, and it gives you sufficient information that you can absolutely see which is a good investment, which will match your sort of risk criteria, takes you through that. And there are so many ways that this can be used for so many different things. And, I mean, there were thousands of these type of guys pitching and doing some amazing, amazing stuff. So, in summary, I'll, I'll come back to this maybe a little bit later. There is huge energy. There is huge growth. There's huge support for startups and a huge ecosystem globally. And to some extent, it exists in South Africa as well. But it was unbelievable to see that people didn't spend the time sitting at home in website, you know, during COVID to do nothing. They have been creating and making and getting involved in and setting up. Major banks hired people, 30,000 of them around the world, distributed people working anywhere. The chase for talent was a huge matter of conversation. It was unbelievable what is going on. And the world has restructured and moved on and come up with the most unbelievable solutions across a whole host of different areas from mining to fishing to finance to education to healthcare, you name it. And we are going to see so many of these start evolving into major platforms over the next couple of months. And um, we'll just have to stay tuned, and I will try to keep bringing you some more and more of these clever little technologies. The, ga- the day of the gadget is done, unfortunately. I think the gadget will become secondary to what you can do with that gadget, and everything will be connected, and everything will be somehow built in with AI and cloud and you name it. But the simple thing for you and I down the road that we'll have smart platforms doing smart things to make our lives better, healthier, faster, smoother, 
whatever. And it's all happening now at a time where the world is converging around these massive solutions from platforms that really make a big difference. Now, we'll be back with my gadget, very interesting cell phone from a crowd that I've worked with for a while. And uh, we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And before we can get into gadgets and gizmos and playing with the toys, I have a quick live read for you guys. And that is from Discam. The Discam app, great new app. Well, it's not so new. It's been around quite a while. You should download the new Discam app from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. And you can enjoy the convenience of ordering your scripts via the app and then collecting them in store. I'm sure you can even have them delivered if that's set up for you. You can check your benefit points. You can locate your nearest store, and there are quite a lot of them around. You can stay up to date with the latest promotions, and they don't stop with those, and often they are good deals. And create personalized shareable shopping lists. So download the Dischem app now and enjoy all the benefits. Dischem pharmacies, pharmacists who care. Now, moving on to a Techno Camon 17. Strange name, but great new equipment. Techno is a Chinese-based um, company, been around in South Africa for four or five years now, and they've always aimed at bringing credible technology at really very, very competitive pricing to the market. I've played with many techno devices over the last little while, and this is one of their latest. It has a couple of really interesting new features, and it's easy to talk about the high-end Samsungs and the high-end devices, the Apples of this world. But for many people, with these devices pushing 20,000 Rand and above, it's become a little bit out of the range of so many of us who just want something that is really smart, really easy to use, and very simple to play with. Um, and the new Camon 17P, it's just a great new device. It is really easily well-built, nicely finished off. It's got the latest 8-core Jeep CPU with uh, all the necessary gizmos and gadgets to make it easy and slick. And in actual use, having played with it for a very short period of time, I was very impressed at how smooth and slick it actually is. But it doesn't look, it really looks the part. It looks like a really expensive high-end phone. But then again, all the phones today look very, very, very similar. But there are some really clever features. It's got a massive 5,000 milliamp hour battery. Now that is essentially the size of a battery pack. Should give you between two and two and a half days depending on, on your usage. You've also got an 18 watt fast charger. So generally you can get to 30, 40% charge within 30 minutes at the most. And that should give you almost a day's worth of use uh, in the normal course. So getting through a day should be absolutely no problem. It also comes with 128 gig of storage, which is more than enough for most photos, most um, of the apps that you use. It's got 6 gig of RAM, which is pretty much mid-range today for an Android device. And what that allows is pretty smooth switching between hundreds of different apps and everything with hundreds. But if, if you've got 100 apps like I do on your phone, you have a problem, which I acknowledge. But generally, for most people, they have between 4 and 10 apps that they use all the time. They tend to be open on their device, and there was absolutely no lag, no switch problem, no delay, and the 6 gig of RAM is more than enough. Some of the high-end devices run up to 12 today, sometimes a little bit more, but generally it's 
it's pretty smooth in multitasking. Video playback was pretty slick. There was never any major delays in that sort of space. But where they've put a lot of work, which is really interesting, is that it's using a very high-end sensor, 64 megapixel quad camera, um, of course, AI enhanced, but that's part of the, the, the chipset um, set up on the back. And together with a 6.8-inch screen, which is an edge-to-edge screen, fairly high resolution, and interestingly, a nice 90 hertz refresh rate, the, the refresh rate of the screen can best be seen by scrolling through a web page or an email. It's smooth and it's fast, and you don't get the jumping or jagged movement when you move up and down. Uh, and it makes a big difference to the sort of fluidity of the experience when using it. So the camera resolution actually can go up to 1 or 8 megapixels for, for really extreme detail. But obviously what that means is that your picture size goes up tremendously. So sometimes it, defa- it should de- de- defaults to 64 megapixel for the average thing should be absolutely perfect. And the AI support, which is built into the chipset, and in fact all smart devices today, smartphones, have what they call computationally supported photography. The basic lenses don't just take a, a standard picture. The system in- uses the AI and machine learning algorithms to enhance and manage that picture and give you a picture that is way, way better than a basic little lens, the tiny little lens on the back of your smartphone could ever do. And in fact, in some of the high-end devices, and certainly in this device, it has got so good that you just pick up the camera, pick up the phone, take a picture, and you get a perfectly exposed, well-lit, nicely uh, defined picture without any thought. You don't have to worry about settings. All you do is click the button and off you go. One smart little thing that was very cool is that there is a front flash. It uses the screen to flash and give you really good selfies. That worked quite well. And the front selfie camera is a very high resolution as well, which is pretty good and pretty wide range, which is you can get quite a few people in. The closer you get, obviously not. And the night mode, the super night mode um, feature was also really, really, really good. You There are a whole host of video templates, so you can convert your everyday movements into a cinematic Type 5, you can create all sorts of effects. A lot of that I found, I'm not a great video um, video photographer in terms of creating movies, but for short TikToks and whatever it is that you want to do, is you can do some really clever, clever um, photography. And the big um, super night mode sensor definitely made a difference at night. You could take a lot of really good pictures, a lot of really good videos, and a lot, lot of really good night or low light type camera camera pictures without a lot of noise. One of the other features is that it has is a theft alert, and this function is intended to alert users that there's uh, a likelihood of theft of the device. When turned on, the, the alert will be triggered if charging is interrupted. So if you leave your phone on your your device on the desk, it's charging. You set this little feature up. Anyone unplugs it, it'll go off and make a noise. And um, only only using your finger unlock or using your code will you be able to get rid of that. So overall, nice quality, very well priced. You can get it pretty much anywhere that you would like. I've, you know, it's available from retailers and networks pretty much across the country. 
The pricing is fairly variable, but it's well below 10,000 Rand, and you should be able to find it pretty much anywhere. I've seen it in Take-A-Lot at very good pricing. It comes in three colors, frost silver, magnet black, and a very nice green. My wife would be very happy. She loves green. So check it out. Uh, I think you'll be very, very impressed at the quality and the, the feature set for a very strong playing within the mid-range space of techno. They've got a great setup for service and support in the country. It might not be a brand that you, you heard. It might not be a brand that you see on all the, 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 the various channels. But I've had a number of them, as I said, over the years, and I've been very, very impressed with the quality, the support, the overall usability. It comes with full Android. It has all the necessary bells and whistles that you can imagine from a modern smartphone and is very, very simple and easy to use and is a great package. It's something that I don't believe a lot of people will be unsatisfied with. There's no major flaws. The only little teeny drawback is some serious gaming may not be possible using the current chipset and memory setup. But for the most part, a lot of people play, don't play very heavy games on these type of devices. They're simply looking something with a good camera, great screen, great usability, all the apps that they get through their day with. And today, long battery life makes a huge difference. So check it out. It's the Techno Camon 17P. You can find it pretty much anywhere. And with a 16 megapixel selfie camera, you can really, you know, take, pull out the stops and take the most fantastic selfies out there. And we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And back, I think I started with Apple and I'm going to wrap up the show talking about Apple. But interesting stuff on Apple devices. Google have an entire division. And you'd, you'd, you'd imagine that's quite a strange thing because Google makes Android. Android is probably the biggest uh, mobile phone platform in the world. Apple is, with their iOS platform, is slightly below that in some territories ahead, like in America and Japan. But generally, Google dominate the smartphone industry, especially on the lower end across the world. But they have a completely dedicated setup for iOS apps on Apple phones. And they've just announced a trio of some really smart updates. I use a lot of Google apps on, on my iPhone and I found them to be really good. The one that was always a little bit iffy, and I was never terribly impressed by it using, for example, Outlook for Mail, was the Gmail app. It didn't have a lot of the functionality that I I was used to or required within a, an app, but they've just launched a brand new update. You should be able to pick it up in the next couple of days if you're a, um, a, a Gmail user and, you, and uh, an iPhone user. And the new app, I've been playing with it very briefly, is really a big update on the older app. They've put some real work into making sure that everything's there. The user's inbox will have three of the most recent emails noting the sender and subject. So there's some really cool updates in that space. Their Drive, the Google Drive, which I use extensively to store documents in the cloud and do all that sort of stuff, has been enhanced dramatically as well. A lot more easier navigation and functionality. And Google Docs, which is a, a a really good quality, inexpensive Office, Microsoft Office um, alternative for those of you who don't want an Office setup, is, is pretty good at reading any Microsoft Office document. 
They've improved that quite nicely. And, of course, the video function, Google Meet, has been enhanced and upgraded quite substantially. I was quite impressed with it. But there are too many for me, unfortunately, between Teams and Zoom and FaceTime and you name it. There are so many Google, uh, there's so many, not Google, there are so many video apps available that it is almost impossible to choose. But when you're within the Google ecosystem and you're using Gmail and all its associated stuff, which a lot of us do, the Google Meet um, video app is excellent. It really works extremely, extremely well. And um, it's also been enhanced quite a lot. So, you know, it's it, it's really interesting that Google and and um, iOS work so well together and everything is in so such good shape. So check them out, download them all, and um, try them out. I think you'll be suitably impressed that it might feel a little heretical to have Google apps on a on an iPhone, but they are extremely slick. They work extremely well, and the new enhancements make them even more user-friendly and usable. So check them out. All you need to do is really just go to the App Store, download them, or update them if you have them, and check out some of the new features. I think you'll be super impressed. And on that note, I think we have to call it a day. So much to think about, so much technology to play with, so many new things happening. But in summary... Based on what I saw at Web Summit, based on what is coming down the pipeline of technology, the amount of usable and useful um, apps, the amount of useful technologies that will make our lives a lot better, make things more predictable, the amount of cloud, artificial intelligence, and security that is being embedded in all these apps over the next little while are going to fundamentally change the way that we're interacting, the way that we use these apps, and for the most part, the vibe and the feel at Web Summit was that technology for good, technology for climate change, technology to enhance people's lives, make them easier, make things simpler, make things smarter, which is a big deal, and better for most of us is definitely on track. We're going to see some incredible findings over the next little while, and it's wonderful to see the positivity and the growth and the energy that is going into so many startups, so many smart solutions, and so many ways of doing so many things that we take for granted in new, smarter, more technologically appropriate ways is pretty exciting. So on that note, I'm going to call it a day. Thanks for taking the time to join us here on Tech Talk right on High FM. Stay tuned. Lots more to come. Always new stuff in technology. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.